Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined with my co-host, Ando Anderson. So before we How jump in... How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Before we jump into things today, just a quick reminder of who we are and what we do. So we're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Awesome. So we had a bit of a break last week, but we're back for more rugby chats, which I'm really excited about. So how have your last two weeks been so far, Ando? Yeah, yeah, it's been really good. Um, my students, I'm a teacher, my students are back full time now as of today. And it's just been really, really good to kind of back, get back into some sense of normality kind of with work and then that transcends just to everything else through day to day. So the only thing that's kind of left really is for sport and rugby to come back so we can actually watch and support and then cry a little bit when the Waratahs get spanked again. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, it's, um, things are going back to normal. So we've got restrictions easing, which is great. And mm. a little bit more interaction with the community and things, which is always welcome. How have you found the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's good. I've been working a lot, which has been a good change. So I'm enjoying that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, some um, people haven't had that same experience. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very privileged to be in that position. And yeah, it's been good. And yeah, having the cafes back open in the last weekend was a bit of a a novelty to go back and actually eat something outside of the house again, which was fun. What was your your first meal? What did you order? B&E roll or... No, we went, we went to a cafe and we had sort of like a brunchy thing, but it ended up being coffee, banana bread and a side of chips. So, oh, What a mix. Yeah, the I know. Sweet and the savory. Yeah, it wasn't, the most, awesome. it wasn't the healthiest option, but um, no, it was good to get out of the house and, and get into it. Oh, good mate. Good mate. Well, I'm excited for the pod tonight. Just wanted to touch base with everybody and let you know that we're still pretty active on Instagram and on Facebook. So for Instagram, you can hit us up at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. And on Facebook, we are the pick and drive rugby podcast. And thank you to everybody that has been liking and commenting and stuff like that. Uh, it's pretty exciting. The numbers of people that are liking the page and getting involved are pretty, they're going up considerably. Yeah, so, so we get just some nice consistent increases in likes and viewership each week. So definitely thank you everyone for that. Um, I guess what we would like to hear as well is how you're finding things. So send Mm. us a review or leave us a message. It would be really great to hear from you all. Definitely. Definitely. So what are we talking about tonight? Yeah. So tonight we're going to do a fellow Australian podcast of the Rugby Ruckus. Uh, This week they had an episode of, well, last week really, an episode where they were joined by Stephen Moore and they were discussing... The, the letter, the infamous captain's letter, amongst another, a round of other few things around Australian rugby. A um, few interesting things were discussed, so we thought we would put our, um, our opinions on air. Yeah, it was kind of the case of, I think, um, I might have listened to it first, or maybe you did, and then we sent each other a text going, we have to talk about this, because there was just so much that came up uh, in what Stephen Moore said, or in fact did not say that we just really wanted to kind of pull apart and dive a bit deeper into. Um, I don't think I'll talk any more about it now. Otherwise, I'll get too passionate and then start talking about what we're going to talk about later now. Um, But I'm really, really keen to get deep, deep into that conversation and into a review of that episode. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So we've got some news to talk about. So let's dive into our spicy news update first. 
And we move right now to our spicy, spicy news. So there's been a whole bunch that's happened over the last fortnight, but we're not going to get too deep into some of the politics and all that stuff that's going on. I might just quickly say off the top and start with this one that there have been some very big name changes at Rugby Australia. So starting up, we have a new director, Andy Chairman-elect, who is Hamish McLennan, former TV executive, very, very experienced and supposedly quite highly regarded. And we also have Rob Clark, former COO of Rugby Australia and heavily involved in the decision to axe the Western Force, who's been out of the game for three years, but has come back in as an interim CEO for around three to six months and has very, very, very clearly stated that he is not going to be running for the role of CEO at the end of his interim period. So Mitch, any comments, thoughts, opinions, random information you want to throw out there about these two appointments? Uh, I think it's good that we've got someone in the role, finally, mm-hmm. just to sort of steer the ship for a little while, even if he isn't going to be there long term. I think it's it's a good appointment for the moment. I think so. I think I actually was really happy at the time of how quickly it came around and how they they seem to have made a good choice with someone who has experience, recent experience in the game, um, in the administration side of the game, and seems to with the confirmation that it was a temporary position that kind of makes him almost like an apolitical player and he has almost a bit of sway to be saying well i'm moving a job i don't really i'm not invested i can just make decisions how i want to be making them and for what i think is most beneficial for the game uh so yeah i thought it was a good call and I know nothing about Hamish McLennan apart from the fact that he's a former TV executive and maybe that's going to help with our broadcast negotiations. Well, from what maybe. I understand, he used to work with Channel 10. So, yeah, okay. interesting there. Right. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, from what I understand, a lot of the kind of executive level positions, people will move between different companies. So it's going to be very hard to find somebody with broadcast experience that hasn't worked either for Fox or exactly. yeah, the exactly. major two players that we're looking for. So maybe getting someone that has no, uh, I don't know, ties, connections, um, is A, impossible and B, unwise, because maybe you do want those connections when you're negotiating a broadcast deal. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's just move on because really I'm kind of bored, about, bored of talking about RA stuff. Yeah. Um, and now, why don't we say, talk about Luke Jones and Kirtley Beal are off to Racing 92 in France at the end of this domestic season. Thoughts? This is something that we talked about a few weeks ago as potentially on the cards. Mm-hmm. So it has since come out and been officially confirmed by Racing. So, inter- yeah, it's, it is what it is. I, I think Kirtley Beal's probably at the end of, towards the end of his career. I don't think we'll see him play for the Wallabies again. It's probably a smart decision on his part to sort of go overseas and finish his sort of season in, in the European competition to try and get a little bit more money. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. I think um, he had been on the outer with the Wallabies selectors when they put up that um, players of national interest squad. We didn't actually see the full squad list, but we at the very least knew that and there was a conversation around the fact that Beal was not on that list. And that was as a result of his inconsistent form for the Waratahs. So it's not at all surprising. And best of luck to him. I mean, he's been a wonderful player for the Waratahs and the Wallabies over a very, very long period of time. Mm. Um, apart from one stint in the UK, he's played all of his rugby in Australia. Yeah. And yeah, credit to him. Go make that money, mate. Um, have fun. You've been a wonderful player, apart from the occasional stuff-ups. But 
that's that's so okay. Uh, he's been one of the most entertaining players to watch, and he and Foley have combined to have my favourite try of all time at the 2015 yeah. World Cup. So that's right. <laughs> it's good in that England it's game. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, interesting. That seriously, my favourite try. Anyway. <laughs> interesting choice for um, Luke Jones to be going overseas as well. I kind of thought that yeah. he might have been with his form at the moment, and and he's still still young enough that he could be pushing for a Wallabies recall. But I guess that yeah. kind of goes out the window now. I think he'd be... Because if you think about it, who else is gone? You've got Arnold that's gone. You've now got Isaac Rodder who's gone as well, who we're going to be talking about in a moment. Um, Adam Coleman is out of the picture as well. Who are Australia's locks? I mean, Rob Simmons is obviously the best lock in Australia. Um, <laughs> but outside of Rob Simmons... captain. Um, outside of... Outside of Rob Simmons, who is very, very experienced and is still a good player at the things that he does really well, who, like Matt Phillip? Yeah, I'd be looking at Matt Phillip. Blake Enova, maybe, from the Brumbies. He's a big mountain of a human being. Yeah, he's a big boy. Um, yeah, so he would be lining up as one of the most experienced and capable, uh, um, basically, line-out operators, locks, and yet he's he's gone so that's really in my mind kind of just put the nail in the coffin of his wallabies aspirations moving yeah, forward that's right um, because you just think that the wallabies uh the super rugby and then the wallabies coaches are probably going to be aiming for just choosing a couple of maybe the less experienced and younger guys and just making them almost like project or development players over time yeah and so they're not going to that somebody might like adam coleman might come back in from overseas and because of his experience have the opportunity to just jump straight into Wallabies. But someone with Luke Jones with a limited experience he's had at Wallabies level, despite the skill and um, potential that he has, he's in my mind, he's, he's gone. He's out of the Wallabies with his decision. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting as well that it's happening now at the end mm. of a World Cup cycle and or sort of beginning of the next plan onto the World Cup because yeah. I don't see him going over there and then coming back and being boosted into the Wallabies. I don't think he's got the skill set and he's that caliber of player that yep. he's good enough to do that adam coleman might so we might see adam coleman come back in that sort of that year before the world cup and, and then be boosted in but we could yep. see some other players come through and, and take that spot as well so mm. I, it really does look like luke jones has sort of shut his door shut the door on his wallabies career and looking to finish his career overseas and make some more money like curtly bill yeah, I mean, well, he had three, two, three years over in Bordeaux prior to coming back to try and make a um, tilt at the Wallaby squad prior to the 2019 World Cup. And he only just missed out on the squad then. So it may well be he'll try and do a similar thing because he's still young enough to be able to do that. So he might try and do it one or two years out from the next World Cup. But he just doesn't, in my mind, have the runs on the board to have a realistic chance of cracking it when you may well have players like Coleman um, and Arnold who are going to be trying to do the same thing, who may well be trying to do the same thing. Mm. Well, I think that's enough on that topic. Let's, uh... Come on, let's go more into more detail about minor transfer issues. <laughs> um, why don't we now get onto the bigger transfer um, debacle that's been going on. So Red's trio, Isaac Lucas, um, Rodder and Harry Hawkins have all severed contracts with Queensland or the QRU, Queensland Rugby Union, and also the Australian Rugby Union. Mm. Mm. This was, mm. this I was, was pissed when I heard this. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy at all. What was your immediate reaction? 
it just doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. I just couldn't really understand what their thought process was behind it. So everyone else in Australian rugby has agreed to the pay cuts. They're the only three yep. who have yep. had some issue with what, what was agreed to. Mm. And so you've got to think of, well, why? Well, obviously they've been, they're being forced if they had remained in Australian rugby to have a 60% pay cut for um, a set period of time until yeah. hopefully the financial situation changes. Yes. But when you, so similar things have happened in other European competitions, um, like the premiership, the English competition and the top 14, the French as well. And the same is happening with the Japanese competition as well. And the situation in a lot of those countries is actually far worse than it is in Australia from a pandemic perspective. So even though Australian rugby and New Zealand rugby is actually coming back up, well, New Zealand rugby is coming back up in the next like three weeks. Yep. Um, and Australian rugby shouldn't, shouldn't be too far behind. Okay. Um, there's, there's no real clear understanding of when the European and the Japanese competitions are going to start up a, and then B, whether or not they're going to be taking a huge financial hit as a result of the closure. There's already speculation that the English Premiership salary cap is going to be getting renegotiated down about 30 to 35%. And there's talk that things like the marquee player system is going to be getting reduced as well or eliminated entirely, which means that all the money that the clubs... Um, could spend outside their salary cap to keep their top name players. If they want to keep those top players, A, those players will then need to take a salary cut. But yep. then B, everybody else in the squad will have to take a cut as well to be able to afford to pay for those salary, uh, those yep. marquee players. Now, why does that matter here? Because it means that in competitions like the Premiership, there is basically going to be no money to be paying for overseas recruits. It's going to be going to academy players that are coming through their system. It's going to be going to uh, cheaper championship players that they might purchase and bring up into the premiership. They're not yeah. going to be paying top money for, like, Isaac Rodder is not going to be getting anywhere near 600000 over in England. He might get it in France. He might get it in Japan, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee at all because a lot of those comps have already got their main players chosen. Um, and like Peter Steff de Toit in South Africa has also um, kind of broken his contract and is looking to move overseas. Who are you going to choose, Steff de Toit or Rodder? Yeah. Like it's, I just don't see this as a smart decision now uh, for, for any of them from like even a job security point of view. And if you take away, if you take Isaac Rodder out of the trio, because I think mm. he sits in a different basket than the other two. Yep. So Isaac yep. Rodder has Wallaby's experience, sort of was high up or coming up to potentially being in the leadership of the Queensland Reds. And then you've got the two other younger blokes who are still very much developing. Like um, They've only sort of just come out of the junior pathways in there, yep. played a little bit of representative football and were pushing for that Wallaby selection going forward. It doesn't, you can't, I can't understand why they would choose to do this. They've essentially shut their door on Australian rugby now. There's a lot of speculation going around that their manager, because all three of them are, um, have the same agent as each other yep. Anthony Picone, Picone, Picone. And it's the same manager that Sammy Karevi has, actually. And his departure at the end of the 2019 season, 2018 season. Um, 
2019 season to Japan was pretty acrimonious as well and was not a uh, well-managed split and was actually quite ugly. And a lot of the details never came out about it, but the rumor mill says that it was a lot worse than what was made public. And I just find it fascinating. It's the same guy who's agitating for change and is basically trying to get his Queensland players to split and go and get the big money over in Japan. Um, and doing it in a way that seems to be burning bridges when it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so from what I've read on various sources, it looks like Isaac Rodder has had a falling out with Brad Thorne. Yeah, and about the captain, kind captaincy. Of, I don't know if it's exactly around the captaincy or just around how he was performing because an, another point that we said earlier this year as well is that Rodder has played very little uh, amount of games this year, whether through injury or there was just something that wasn't going on that wasn't. Yeah. Clicking. He was coming back from an ankle surgery at the start of the season. Yeah. So he was injured and then he sort of came back into the team and he wasn't definitely wasn't going back to the form that he had previously. Mm. So there's talks mm. that he was looking to get out of his Queensland contract, but then move into another super rugby team, potentially yep. the Waratahs. Um, but now the way that this has happened, no other super rugby team would pick him up considering that he's, just the way he's gone about it. Yeah. And I mean, I've also read, thing, read articles that have been speaking to how the three of them were really taken back by the vociferous uh, negative commentary about their decisions and that they didn't realize it would be such a loud and angry response to their decision. But what it, whether or not this is true is fair or not, the way that it looks is that three Australian players, only three out of Australian out of the 180 plus professional players have chosen, no, we're not going to be taking this pay cut. And we're jumping ship from Australian rugby and we're going to go try and make our money overseas and we're not going to be in this together with you all. And it looks like a really selfish move, particularly, particularly for Hawkins and Lucas. Hawkins was basically a starting player for the Reds, he was playing most weeks and was doing really, really well, um, considering his youth. And Isaac Lucas had been playing really well, but then got ousted from fifth, 10 when James O'Connor got moved there and then was 15 for a bit until Jock Campbell started playing really, really well and took over his position. So for him, it looks, and I'm not saying this is the situation, but perception matters. And it looks as though he's like, well, I'm not in the starting squad anymore. I'm having a 60% pay cut. I'm out. I'm done. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Did you see what Lockie McCaffrey was saying in an interview about this? Yeah. So he was saying that a lot of the negative criticism that's come towards these players because of this whole contract negotiation is unfair. And that mm. there is plenty of people in just normal business and normal industry that have been in a, the same situation, essentially, where they've been offered a reduced salary and have gone somewhere else to get paid more because they they feel like they're worth it um and that they're not getting vilified for doing that and not getting called traitors and that kind of thing and the fact that these guys are rugby players and in sort of the um the public domain that they're getting sort of rung through and everyone's yeah. having a comment on it yeah and i think part of it yeah like like you slash McCaffrey said is that part of it is because it's it's a very public public move and it's mm -hmm. been done in a very uh I think it just could have been handled better 
from a, like a relationships point of view, um, both within Queensland rugby, but then the way that it was communicated to the broader public. And, but then also I was reading an article today on the raw that was basically saying that because rugby is such a team based game, you need to be working together for your teammates to be yeah. able to have any chance of success. It, it, the perception is that they have broken ranks with their teammates and left them out to dry. And that is a lot of the, in my mind, the main kind of thing that's influencing people's responses is that it just looks like they've dogged their teammates, which is what I'm... What, um, what is interesting is that's what comes out in, in the media and from mm. um, the fans' perspective. But a, a number of players have come out and said that they do still support them as individuals and that they, they hasn't affected their friendship and that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. But the other thing, the other question that I have around this whole situation is why would you do it in this way? If you're not happy in your contract, and they had signed, they had three years left on their contract. I think mm-hmm. Isaac Rodder was coming to the end of his, but the other yes. two had signed contract extensions not too long ago. Now, what their motivation is, we don't really know. Whether it is the fact that they're getting less money and they do think that they can get more money overseas. Yeah. Um, or if they just they're not happy in the Reds, they're not happy. I don't I don't know what the situation is. But the other thing is I don't think they're big enough players, like good enough players, to go overseas and come back and then reignite the Wallabies dream. Maybe Rodder. Maybe Rodder because of his experience already. Oh, but he's um, he's getting on in age. He's is, pushing oh, thirty. Is I'm looking at now. Let's prove you wrong, or prove you right, as it may be. Um, no, he's twenty-three, mate. Twenty-three. <laughs> the baby. Oh, that shows how much I know of how old he is. But I, I still don't. <laughs> I still don't think that he's, um, he's starting Wallaby's potential yet. He's been there in the past, and he's been there on injury replacement. But I don't think that he's playing well enough at the moment as well. We said this earlier in the year. He's mm, not playing mm. well enough now to be pushing for a starting Wallaby spot later this year or even next year. So the fact that he's acted in this way, I don't think that he would go overseas and play somewhere else and then come back two or three years and be the, you know, the amazing fixer that is, is second row. I mean, everyone touts Will Skelton to be exactly like you've got Will Skelton, you've got Adam Coleman. If both of those players came back for the next world cup, they would be picked or Rory Arnold, they'd be picked Straight ahead, straight away above Isaac Rodder. Yep. Well, either way, it's really disappointing for kind of Australian rugby, even if there are a lot of people kind of more within the game than we are looking into the game who yep. are saying that it's a fair enough move. And to an extent, they do have every right um, to make a choice to change employer rather than take a pay cut. That is their decision. Um, it's just because there's so much of a sense of loyalty that is put into the sporting domain that I think it it takes on this added dimension of emotion, which a normal corporate uh, change of employment wouldn't have. But why don't we move on? Um, there was a really interesting... Ooh, yeah, on. Jump on. Yeah, yep, just yep. on that, just finally. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing too is I think they've gone about this the wrong way in that they've done... Um, they've done it the wrong sort of way around. In that they've, they're now out of a contract, but they haven't got somewhere else to go yet. So now they're just yep. free. So if they had come out and said, we're not playing with Queensland anymore, we're not playing with Australia, we're going to go and sign with Panasonic in Japan, fine. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yep. That makes sense. You're getting that money. Yep. But now the fact that they've done this, and it sort of does show their lack of 
loyalty, take away the whole COVID situation and the, the, the pay cut. Everyone around the world is now in that situation. Who was going to sign them? Who was or who is? Who, who is? Who is? Like they don't have a team they've signed with. They're yeah, just free agents yeah. now, which I would think personally would make that process of signing a new contract a lot harder. And there's been no information at all. Like there's been no talk about who they're possibly signing for. It's not even like earlier. Um, we knew that the move with Kirtley Beal overseas was, was quite likely because there were reports from French newspapers saying that it was likely to happen. But with these three, there is nothing. It's radio silence. I, I honestly going. don't it's think... just that they've broken contract. I honestly don't think they've got anything lined up. I think they've just... Yeah finished their contracts or terminated their contracts with the Reds and with the Wallabies and Australian rugby. Yeah. And now they're just floating around waiting for some other club somewhere to offer them something. Mm. Does mm. that also well, mean now that they can't play club football? They can't play club rugby in Brisbane? No, no, they should be able to. I mean, just because you don't have a contract with RA doesn't mean you can't play club, club rugby. Um, yeah, cause Clay maybe cause in, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. That's anyway, enough of that. Anyway. Enough on that one. Let's move now to Michael Checker, our favourite topic. Um, so Checker, Michael Checker has come out and said yeah. that he believes he should have quit as Wallaby's coach prior to the World Cup. Now, a lot of people would go, yes, yes, you should have. But there, did, reading this article, what was his reason, Mitch, for saying that? To be honest, I actually haven't read this article. <laughs> I'll say it then. Okay. So his main reason was that they, the Wallabies or Rugby Australia had lost, had didn't trust him anymore. And he particularly pointed to the bringing in of Scott Johnson as director of rugby and a three-man selection panel. Uh, in a footy team, there can only be one boss. That's all there is to it. I should have left because that shows they didn't trust me anymore. Uh, he does talk then about later on about his love of for Australian rugby, how he thought he could do it and get the players together. He didn't want to let the supporters down. Um, but he, yeah, basically is making the claim that A, he should have left, B, because of the fact that RA showed they did not trust him anymore. Now, is he wrong in saying that? Yes. That RA didn't trust him anymore? Uh, okay, so I don't necessarily... There's question marks over the trust there. There's definitely mm -hmm. a, a frayed relationship between the two of them, between Rayleigh Castle yeah. particularly and Rugby Australia as well. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily... I, I mean, a lot of this is him coming out and saying, I should have done this, I should have done A, B, C, D because I failed at the World Cup. If he had got, to, if he had got the Wallabies maybe an extra step or two to the to the semifinals or even to the yep. final and they lost, I don't think he'd be saying these things. If he had mm. won the World Cup, he definitely wouldn't be saying that. He probably would still be the coach. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he'd still be the coach. I don't think. Not after two stints at the helm. If he won. Oh, I guess he, no, I guess he would have. If he won, if he'd won, he would have taken Australia to the, the final, final and then to the final again and won it. Yeah. So he would have done it. Yeah, maybe you couldn't say no to that. But look, I just think, number one, I don't think it was inherently an issue of trust. I think it was an issue of his erratic behaviour, media presence, selections, and lack of discernible big picture strategy that was being communicated 
about what the direction of the Wallabies team was that combined together meant that there needed to be some level of change to try and evoke some improvement in Wallaby's outcomes. And if you can't sack him, like we've spoken about before, if you can't sack him and he won't change what he's doing, then what you do, you put in the support structures around him to try and provide that direction that seems to be missing. And you can either interpret that as you don't trust me and you're getting a babysitter in to look after my job, which is obviously the direction that he's taking, or you can take it as a, we're putting these structures in place to help you succeed. Um, And maybe it's somewhere between the two. Maybe it's, we're putting these structures in place to help you succeed because we don't think you can do it on your own. I mean, to sum it all up, I think he is just regretting that he didn't do well. He thought that he would succeed in the World Cup and he didn't. Mm. And mm. he's having issues now um, coming to terms with that and saying that he should, yep. have, he should have left prior and that he, and he's making, he's making things up. If he's saying that he wanted to stay on because he thought it was what the fans wanted, it, it wasn't. If you look at the fan engagement yeah. prior to the World Cup, they, they were calling for him to leave. So I think he's just saying things to justify him being there and then also trying to shift the blame a little bit because uh, I I didn't succeed because I didn't have the trust of Rugby Australia. Well, no, that's not the reason that you failed. The reason you failed was because you didn't have a plan. One of the things in his defence that he says is that I love Australian rugby. I thought I could do it. I believed I could get the players together and I didn't want to let the players and the supporters down. And having, I mean, in COVID life, we've listened to a lot of podcasts (laughs) and a lot of the um, players such as um, Morgan Tiranui and Stephen Moore and um, Matt Gitto have all spoken to the fact that Michael Checker is was for the Wallabies one of the most committed and passionate supporters of Australian rugby and gave his all and 100% one of the best for Australian rugby and wanted to win. Now, that obviously didn't translate into the results that he was or the public were looking for. Um, But I just think that, yeah, this, it just seems like a bit of retrospective history making Mm -hmm. in regards to everything that's going on. Anything you want to add there or should we quickly move on? To I think you'll find that most coaches who look back on their sort of tenure and their appointments, Eddie Jones is in the same boat. He says that he mm. should have left the Wallabies job after the World Cup instead of getting fired a few years later. He's got the same regrets. So yeah. in an ideal situation, everyone would be able to see when the perfect point to leave a job and to not sort of let it down <laughs> spiral. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's basically all this really is. I wouldn't, pay it too much attention apart from that okay well why don't we move on now to the glorious news that there may well be some form of rugby union in our eyeballs relatively soon so the news is that the new zealand competition a domestic five team competition with all the super rugby teams is going to be kicking off starting on saturday june the 13th for a 10 week competition i'm excited are you excited I am excited. This is going to be awesome. Going to have some rugby back. It's going to be so good. I mean, we'll just be doing a podcast on New Zealand rugby pretty soon. But hey, we'll take it. Any <laughs> we'll have to change rugby. our little tagline. Everything to do with New Zealand <laughs> rugby. Actually, you know what? For the for those weeks, we probably should. Um, one of the 
problems I'm seeing, though, is that this is going to be on Sky Sports. Yes. And I don't know if my KO membership is getting, or subscription is getting me Sky Sports. There hasn't been too Maybe much. Look into this a bit more. There hasn't been too much uh, information released around the TV rights and things like that. But Sky Sports do broadcast Super Rugby in New Zealand anyway. Yeah. So my kind of hope is that the current situation would be, and Fox Sports is contracted to supply uh, Super Rugby to the Australian market. So they would yep. then, and they use the Sky Sports feeds for those New Zealand games. So I'm oh, okay, hoping yeah. that they will just port it across to us and we'll be able to access it through Fox Sports slash KO. Yeah, okay, cool. Because it's still, it's still a Super Rugby product. It's being yeah, called, true. it's being called the Super Rugby uh, Aya Eratora. Nice try. Which is we probably were completely that wrong. But we were very scared. We were very scared to try and say that. So we apologize if we need to, <laughs> but well done if you need to get it right. Neither of us are too sure. Um, look, I'm just excited to have rugby in any way, shape, or form. And I will do my best to purchase it and gain access to it legally. Uh, otherwise, we'll have to, like, I don't know, pubs may well be open by then. So we may well be able to go and sit down and watch. Well, I mean, the other thing too is if it's not broadcast on Fox Sports, pubs won't have it either. Oh, yeah, of course. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, um, yeah, okay. it's, <laughs> it's going to be pretty simple. It's a 10-week competition, home and away, with the five Super Rugby sides. Um, there's not, interestingly, though, there's not going to be a final series and there's mm-hmm. not going to be a winner. Yeah, okay, so it's just... So I don't... They'll, they'll probably track the wins and losses, but there's not going to be a, a winner at the end of it. So the Crusaders yeah, okay. won't get any cup this year. <laughs> That's probably the only reason why they're not getting it this year. But, um, okay, this is leading us to our final point. Now, we don't have this written down, and it's something I meant to talk about three weeks ago, and I totally forgot, and I haven't briefed you on this. So this is going to be good. But oh, we do have two points then. One other okay, point. Okay, well, I'm going to say mine. I'm going to say yes, mine quickly. you go yours. What is happening with Super Rugby memberships? Uh, yes. So, like... I, you and I both have a membership to Waratahs because we live in Sydney. Yep. Um, we, we pay for that membership. We didn't get to get to any of the games because I went to one. were in Newcastle. Oh, you went to one. I went to um, one. I, I had something on. I couldn't yeah, make that couldn't one make game that was in Sydney. But then it was in Newcastle. They were in Wollongong. And then now I have, I have nothing and I will be getting nothing because the entire domestic, se- domestic season is more than likely to be Probably. without fans in attendance. So, so like, what happens with our membership? Have you heard anything about it for any of the Super Rugby clubs? No, I haven't. There was an email that was released um, probably two months ago now, or maybe a month and a half. We sort of mm. first went into the COVID lockdown from the Waratahs that said, we're working on fixing this up. We'll let you know next week. And I never heard anything after that. <laughs> okay. And you haven't seen anything from any other Super Rugby team? No, not online. I haven't seen anything announced. So Yeah, okay. Maybe we'll just have to directly contact them. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this space, listen to this space, and we'll get back to you about what the plan is for the Waratahs membership. You'll hear it here first because the Waratahs sure as heck are not advertising what is going on. No, they're not. Anyway, Uh, what was your point? Last point, um, Shoot Shield will be back. At the moment, we're looking at a... It's a 13-team competition now. So we've added in... I think last time we spoke about this, they were eyeing off two potential spots between Penrith and Newcastle. They have decided Mm -hmm. to bring both of those teams in, which is awesome. 
So Penrith and Newcastle will now be competing in a competition. 13 teams. They're looking to kick it off on the 25th of July um, with a 16-week competition. So similar, I guess, similar to the New Zealand comp in that home and away fixtures. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll need to get out to some shoot shield rugby instead of just focusing on super and getting to the local. That'd be really fun. If we can, Um, if we can though. Oh yeah, of course. Far out. I I just got to get my mind because I'm back at school and things are like kind of back to normal for me. I keep forgetting that we still have to be doing the social isolation because did you know that COVID cannot impact you at school in classrooms. What? I'm joking, by the way. I'm joking because, oh. like, you know how it's all social isolation outside yes. the classroom. You always have to be. But as soon as you can have 30 kids in a room at one time and it's so okay. But as soon as you step outside the classroom, you need to be a meter and a half apart. Yeah. So basically, my thought is why don't we just get Shoot Shield to play on school grounds? Because COVID can't enter past the school gates. That's a great that idea. therefore means that nobody can get infected or get sick at school. Why don't we just play so, super rugby in schools? Exactly. Exactly. I think a whole bunch of the larger kind of uh, GPS or CAS schools will have pretty decent grounds. So well, their facilities would be on. awesome. Yeah, they'd yeah, facilities would be great. Just, just go to theirs. Um, so look. You heard it here we, first. Exactly. COVID doesn't get past the gates of schools and super rugby should be played out of schools for the foreseeable future to enable fans to be in attendance. It's a great idea. I love it. Great idea. Great idea. You solved two well, things then. Rugby and <laughs> with, that bombshell, <laughs> with that bombshell, should we now jump on into the main kind of segment for tonight being the interview? Yep, let's do it. Now we move to the meat of the sandwich, so to speak, our main segment for this week, where we are going to be talking about the latest episode of the Rugby Ruckus episode of podcast series um, by Ben Kimber and Morgan Turanui, where they were joined by former Wallabies test captain uh, Stephen Moore. So this episode was published on the 17th of April. No, that's no, no, no. So this episode was last week, but it's talking about where did I the get that captain's no. letter. Where did I get that, that date from? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You've just got such a good memory for the infamous letter that was sent out, which Stephen Moore was a part of. Um, now, part of the reason why we wanted to address this was because um, we really, really like and respect the rugby ruckus. Uh, both Ben Kimber and Morgan Tiranui put out a quality product most weeks and their recent series looking at where they're doing interviews with key people in Australian rugby or with connections into Australian rugby who and looking for three main things within each interview to try and change up or use this current situation as an opportunity to improve Australian rugby it's been a great series the interview with Eddie Jones was fantastic that was awesome. um, but but they did an interview last week with Stephen Moore, that upon Mitch and I both listening to this independently, we texted each other saying, we have to dive into this. We have to talk yeah. about this on the pod. Um, so before we jump into the reasons why we wanted to talk about this more, um, why don't I provide a little bit of context for this captain's letter that is going to be the main focus of the discussion about Steve Smith. Um, yeah. Stephen Moore. Stephen Moore. Now, one other thing so, before we yeah. jump, we want to also say that we are a positive rugby podcast. So this is not a personal <laughs> yes. attack on anyone in any way. This is just nope. a general chat around what our beliefs are in regards to what was said in this, uh, this conversation and in this episode. 
Yeah, correct. And the ideas around constructive communication to improve things in Australian rugby and how yeah. we think that wasn't what happened here. Um, so basically, on the 17th of April, right before the... That's where um, the date came from. Yeah, yeah, that's where it came from. Um, right before the resignation of Raylene Castle, uh, 11 previous or ex-captains of the Wallabies got together and signed an open letter that was provided both to Rugby Australia and to the Australian. And in that letter, they said things, basically they wanted change within Australian rugby. And I've got the information up here, so I'll quickly just get that up for us. Yeah, so they highlighted a few areas of improvement that they think need, or areas of the game that they think need improvement. Yes, and for some reason that link has just disappeared. But basically, I'll get up in a moment for us. But the main essential thread was that they wanted change within the leadership of Rugby Australia. Um, and they wanted to see, they basically were just stating things like there was massive disaffection within the rugby supporter base. And none of this is inherently incorrect. So let me just read some of the quotes. Um, in recent times, the Australian game has lost its way. It's a defeat inflicted not by COVID-19 or an on-field foe, but rather by poor administration and leadership over a number of years. Our rural, junior and sub-district and community clubs have been let down. We need, we firmly believe transformation is needed. Um, uh, uh, with all of this in mind, we ask the current administration to heed our call and stand aside to allow the game to be transformed so we emerge from this pandemic with a renewed sense of unity and purpose. Okay. Lovely. Okay. Lovely. You need some kind of well, like bells or like Disney music in that. Deli delivered on a bed of roses or yeah. something like that. It's so fluffy. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's, that's some of the context, right? Um, there was this letter that was on the one hand given to Rugby Australia, but on the other hand was an open letter that was leaked to the Australian and they had the entire thing in full. Okay. The Australian obviously being the News Corp media company. Yep. So you have this whole thing behind it. And especially when you consider that two of the signatories were Phil Kearns and Nick Far Jones who were key, key agitators in that early to mid-April period with all of the negative articles coming out about Railing Castle and Rugby Australia. The two of them were right in the middle of that, okay? Then Phil Kearns is being touted as the replacement CEO for Railing Castle. Then this letter gets thrown out there and those two are signatories on it. All right, so... That's some of the background for where this letter comes into play now and this interview with Stephen Moore, where a large part of it was a discussion around the letter and also some of his hopes and thoughts for what the future of Australian rugby could be. So now that I've given that context, Mitch, what was, what, do you want to, how do you want to start this? Where do you want to go with this? All right. So I think we'll just get our general view of what we thought was discussed in the episode. So just our general um, opinions mm -hmm. and yep. then we'll dive into some of the points that were discussed and what we think specifically around those points. Yeah. Okay, cool. Go for it. Okay. So first of all, I thought this, it was a very interesting uh, episode. It was a very interesting interview. Uh, mm. Morgan and, and Ben did quite well in trying to draw out a lot of information from Stephen Moore, but unfortunately it was very general. There wasn't very a whole lot so. of um, yeah. specific examples or solutions. Whoops 
solutions to the problems, mm. which was one of the biggest criticisms of the initial letter as well. So when, yeah. when they came out, it was like, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do that. There was no how we're going to do that, just we need to do that. And again, in the same kind of theme as the letter, this interview also didn't really address or answer any of the real questions of how these problems will be fixed. Mm. Yeah, and look, in some ways they in some ways they kind of did present some solutions. So um, one of the main theses that Stephen Moore put out there was this desire for um, that there was not enough desire within Australian rugby to be the best and that Australian rugby needed to simply have a greater level of desire or to want it more and that would be one of the main strategies by which they would pull themselves up out of the hole that they were in. That's, that's one of the points that he kind of made and reiterated a number of times. And then also it was the, um, they did float the idea or at least briefly discuss the idea of a national club competition as well. Um, and that, that was an interesting discussion too. So they did provide some information, but the specificity or the, um, yeah, the detail around those suggestions was pretty limited. Yeah, um, I guess the points that they raised were, especially around the club competition and the future of Super Rugby, were more around possible options of what we could see, mm. but they weren't mm. really diving into the, the problems and fixing the, the issues that we currently have. It was just kind of, yeah, I don't think it's good enough. Let's look at this. It was very yeah. generalised. Yeah, and to Ben Kimber's credit, because he was the one that was driving the majority of the questioning because yeah. of his role as a journalist um, previously, he did specifically ask, well, one of the criticisms that was labelled of you at the time, and I was one of them, that's speaking as Ben, um, was that there was, not a, there, was, there was no detail, there was a lack of specific strategies for what would happen. And so credit to Ben, he asked the question, but then Stephen Moore's response was very generalised and um, there's like a follow-up probing question to go, okay, yeah, but you haven't answered the specifics of what, what you would actually tend to be like to see change, just that we need to want it more, um, was one of the things that just kept coming out. Um, and really that was, that idea, so the, the title of this episode is We Just Need to Want It More, because <laughs> when I was listening to this podcast, um, and I need to say that Stephen Moore was one of my favourite Wallabies captains. I really respect him as a player and from, from the interview, just as a person, he seems like a good person who does want the best for Australian rugby. Yeah. I do not deny that. And I think if I was to meet him, he would be a, he'd be a great person to meet um, and we'd be able to converse really well. I just, I just think it's... I'm not sure if naive is the right word because that would be almost disrespectful, but... The fact, the, the, the belief that the main issue in Australian rugby is that we need to want to be the best and we need to desire it more is in my mind overly simplistic and yes. doesn't get to the bigger issues at play. And the problem is if Stephen Moore in a way is a spokesman or the, the, the person that is providing this deeper opportunity to unpack and unravel what the captain's letter was all about. And he's saying that, well, our main belief is that Australian rugby just needs to want to be better than we currently are. If that's what they're wanting, that to me is destructively naive in what they did. Mm. 
because I mean, look, I'm just going to keep ranting. Cut in if you want me to stop ranting. Uh, um, yeah. But okay, let's keep on going with this. So one of the main criticisms that uh, you and I both had at the time that this came out was the timing of the captain's letter. So I've spoken about the context of everything that was going on at the time. You've got this pandemic that's hitting. You've got the broadcast negotiations that's been shattered by this pandemic. Rugby um, had massive already stopped issues. at that point. Rugby yeah, correct. Ceased to a halt. Yep, and there's been this 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 avalanche of negative publicity that's coming on board, and then this captain's letter comes out. Okay. And then a couple of days later, Raylan Castle resigns. And supposedly, supposedly, according to Paul McLean, there was no direct connection between the two. I find that a little bit hard to believe. Yeah. Um, but we'll take Paul McLean at his word there. But regardless, this letter comes out in that, in that context. And Benny Kimber asks, well, did you consider the timing of the letter? Uh, and whether or not it was the right time for such a thing to come into like the public eye? And Stephen Moore's response was, no, that wasn't really something that we considered. To which I say, holy crap, how can you not consider that? That is ignorantly destructive for you to not consider the impact that this has. So if you're wanting to be heard as a Wallabies captain, you think that because you're a Wallabies captain or 11 of you are Wallabies captains, you deserve to be heard. Surely you recognise that what you're saying has an impact. And if what you're saying is like a let's burn down RA, start again. Surely that's not a helpful thing unless you think that oh, I just, I just don't understand the, the possibility that you can't have considered the impact of the timing of this letter. Okay. okay now, I've got, I've got uh, two things to say in regards to this. So first okay. of all, I don't think Stephen Moore personally was the person that was pushing this letter. So I would say that there was maybe two or three, four, maybe five of the 11 captains who had the agenda, who got the support of the various captains and got them to put their sort of weight behind it and sign the document. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if Stephen Moore, when Stephen Moore signed it or if he knew when it was going to be published. So they could have approached Stephen Moore two months ago and said, we, we or three or four, like earlier this year, and said, we want, this is what we're putting forward. We want you to sign this. And he's gone, yep, yeah, no, it's great. I do, I agree. So he signed mm -hmm. it, he's backed it. And then it's come out in that situation. And so his action, his response to that is that I, I don't think we realized that why, when we were releasing it and what the effects mm. it was going to have. Yeah, but okay. So maybe the timing of his yeah. He personally didn't think that, but whoever was sort of behind it did. Because I okay. do, I do okay. think the release of the letter was um, instrumental in Railing Castle's downfall and there yep. was an agenda that was played there. I don't think all yep. 11 Wallabies captains were necessarily pushing to get her to resign like that, but there mm -hmm. was definitely some people that were. So yeah. I would say Stephen Moore supports what was happening but didn't sort of know exactly how it was going to be released and when it was going to be released. So that's one thought that I've got. The other point too is yep. that he did say later on in the podcast that um, it sort of ties back into the we need to want it more in that at the, the performance of the World Cup should have been a massive indication that Australia Australian rugby was going in the wrong direction and something needed to be done. Nothing really was done. We appointed a new coach and it was kind of like a band-aid put over all of the issues. He did mention mm -hmm. that they needed to do 
a massive internal report in or an internal investigation into the performance of the whole organization leading up to the World Cup and through that period. And it was kind of, it was done, but there was nothing ever released. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I'm thinking, okay. so in, in, in regards to that is he was saying that that period sort of January, February, March, earlier this year is the period when something drastically needed to change with Rugby Australia and it didn't. So they've therefore pushed this through because they've realized that it wasn't happening and, and it wasn't going, going to happen. And that's why they've mm. released this letter. Yeah. And that they didn't necessarily put it forward to do with the COVID and the downfall of Railing Castle and all of those things. One of the things, so that's, that's a really good point, particularly the fact that maybe the signatures could have been gathered from some of the captains earlier and that perhaps the ones who were leading the discussion or leading that group were the ones that determined the timeline and maybe that wasn't Stephen Moore. So if you were to put names to it, are you thinking Phil Kearns? Are you thinking Nick Farr-Jones as two of the key ones? I definitely would say that. I don't know who else. Maybe George Gregan. He's quite aligned with Fox Sports. Yeah, okay. Although I do really um, respect George Gregg and I don't want to tarnish him in any way. It's hard, isn't it? Because <laughs> we're commenting about these things and we probably respect them a lot as people, but at the same we time... Do. yeah. We, uh, and you know what? I think that's a, a mature enough position, hopefully, that people can take in some of this discourse is that you can respect the person but not agree with the action. Exactly. Um, and that's basically what we're saying here is we disagree with the way things have been done that we may still have some respect for that person that we're talking about. Um, now, speaking particularly to that idea that you're kind of touching on here about this group that are trying to instigate change and may yep. well have used the letter to be a part of that. Um, there was a fan, absolutely fantastic article by Jeff Parks on The Raw on the 10th of May. So it's two weeks ago now. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of old news, but if you're wanting to get a detailed um, analysis of some of this politicking that's been going on and how this captain's letter and also the actions of Peter Wiggs, who was a very brief member uh, yeah. of a very, for a very brief moment, direct on the RA board. If you wanted to get an analysis of that entire situation, then go and read it. It's on the raw.com.au and it's by Jeff Parks from the 10th of May. And it's absolutely fantastic at providing a detailed analysis of all this, which actually helps explain some of what you've just suggested in response to my ranting there. So thank you. So is, is it, was I on the right track or not? Yeah, yeah, you, you're on the right track. And um, I think, I mean, look, he doesn't necessarily say that the letter was 100% a, um, a tool to be used, but he goes into detail about the actions of Peter Wiggs as basically being kind of like a mover and shaker to try and get his mate, who was it, Matt Carroll, installed yeah. as CEO, um, who, and that was at the behest of key players like Kearns and Nick Farr-Jones, um, and goes into all the detail there. So it's, it's really, really good analysis and um, tying all these, what look like to be seemingly disconnected threads together into a cohesive narrative. He does, he does quite well with it. Um, okay, back to the discussion point. What else did you want to talk about from that interview? Okay, so some of the points that Stephen Moore sort of spoke about or discussed for his, his vision of rugby going forward, he thinks mm. that we should revert back to a three-team super rugby format. Well, a 
three-team representation in Australia. Yeah, Eddie Jones was saying that as well, wasn't he? Yes. So the yeah, view okay. is, their views are, or their opinions are that we don't have the talent to spread across five teams. And the money as well. Teams as and, and the money, yeah. Yep. Um, and that we are, and Stephen Moore said this, that we are paying players to be professional rugby players who probably aren't at the standard that, they sh- that sh- a professional rugby players should be. Yeah, well, at least weren't in previous years. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I don't what think, do you that think that changes this year. Yeah, true. Um, so what do you think? Uh, do, you, do you agree? Should we be going down to three? We've already gone down to four. So who do you cut? If, if we're going down to three, who's your uh, team that doesn't make, the, doesn't make the three? I don't know if we necessarily cut a team. I would be looking at amalgamation as a viable Ooh. future. Oh, who are you amalgamating? New South Wales and the Brumbies. Well, the Waratahs yeah. and the Brumbies is who I would amalgamate, or potentially the Brumbies and the Rebels. But that's such an artificial. Like, okay, at the very least, within the uh, the Brumbies and the Waratahs, they're at least kind of the ACT is within New South Wales. Yes, yeah, so that's why initially that kind of makes that. sense. But at um, the same time, Canberra isn't that far from Melbourne either. Oh yeah, it is. Come on, it's seriously so much closer to Australia, to Sydney than it is to Melbourne. Yeah, it's, it's like four it hours. Is, it is closer, but if you're looking at aligning it with another team that could use the support, yeah, okay, I don't know. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, look, I just think any decision to is I'd almost think it'd be better just to cut a team and just like rip that bandaid off than try and do a messy bringing together of like in laws yeah, that don't look, like each other. So, do you agree that we are at a three? team capacity in this country i just look around at some of the players across the different and i'm definitely not going to name names but i just look around at some of the players and i just uh, i'm not sure if they're that good Mm. um especially compared to products that you watch overseas or the new zealand conference or um you just look at some of the players and you think yeah look you're better than i'll ever be I never would have been even if I was younger, but I'm just not sure if you're ever really going to be pushing for Wallaby's contention. Yeah. And so I guess if the question is, is super rugby, is the purpose of super rugby to be creating a strong Wallabies team? And if it is, then it makes sense in my mind to go down to three super rugby teams. Look in our, uh, in the Australian market, it needs to be. It does need so to be. So you have below that, because we're, we're talking about top end here. Yeah, what we do are. you then have for the rest of the rugby supporter base, which, the, like the majority of the rugby supporter base, which is not assigned to just those three remaining teams? Personally, I would love... Oh, so outside of that. So that was one of the points, mm. actually, that I wanted to say. So before we get into the next step down, um, I've got two main kind of conflicting points about a three-tier competition. So first of okay. all, as you just said, um, the Wallabies need to be successful for rugby to thrive in this country. So yep. we need to be pushing for the top three in the world. We need to be winning. We need to be winning tournaments. We need to be winning test matches. We can't keep having the lackluster performances that we're having over the years, mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. few years, for the interest to come back into the sport. Now we probably do three teams is probably the best way to do that because we'll have those players playing more of those players playing together more often. 
So on the one side, I can say, yes, that would work. But on the other okay. side, I don't think by removing rugby from, and Ben Kimber said this in this episode as well, removing the rugby product from uh, designated rugby locations or where it's already established is going to yep. be good for the game. So yeah, okay. as we pulled the Western Force, well, we half pulled the West, ARU pulled the Western Force out of Perth and they're still there privately. If there was no rugby representation there at all, I, I just struggle to see how the Wallabies will be a, all of an Australian representing team. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to just yeah. representing the East Coast. Because if you do go to three, if you go to three teams, you really can't have the three teams have to be the Reds, the Waratahs, and the Brumbies. Yeah, because they're the, the most, they're the oldest, most established, most most consistent, general, most consistent. That's right. So, mm. on the one hand, yes, the Wallabies will probably be more successful, which will bring interest back in. But at the same time. Well, we've only got three teams, and that's another point too. With three teams, we get lost in the market. So if you've yeah. got, we already the Waratahs already struggle to have representation in New South Wales when they're up against yeah. the NRL, who who are based. So they've got like six or seven teams based in Sydney alone. Even more, yeah. Yeah, however many it is, um, and then you go down to Melbourne, where you've got one, the Rebels down there, one team, and you've got the AFL that's predominantly based there as well. They get lost. Yeah. So what do you do then? I mean, part of what they discussed in the pod was having the idea of a national club competition. Yeah. And so the national club competition would sit below Super Rugby, but then all the clubs would be aligned and feeding into those Super Rugby teams. So there's that clear and consistent pathway up between them. Um, that that seems tenable. Seems like a possible structure, but yeah, look, it's just it's a, it's a really hard conversation to keep on going with because I think a bunch of it's going to come down to money and whatever money actually comes out from whatever broadcast deal can be scrambled and salvaged from remains of what's uh, left of Rugby Australia's marketing department. So if we look at a national club competition as a as an option, and we say that that's where we're going to go forward. One of the biggest criticisms that came when this was initially announced last year or earlier at the beginning of this year was that the current sort of clubs in Sydney and Brisbane and Canberra as well, they're not professional. They're not mm. even semi-professional. So if we bring in a, a national club competition that's going to push that up to a sort of professional level, yep. in that it's going to have that, it's essentially going to have to replace Super Rugby, the bulk of Super Rugby in Australia, mm. in some form, it's the clubs aren't going to be able to support it. The clubs yeah, themselves won't have the funding to be able to pay for it. Yeah, so the clubs themselves won't be able to pay to travel. You can't yep. have Sydney clubs traveling to Perth or to to Victoria or to to Queensland. They won't be able to do it. The another um, another point was that players who play club rugby are there to to play on Saturday, to have fun with their mates and then like train on, on Thursdays and Tuesdays. But yeah. they're not there to spend their whole weekend traveling. Yeah. They, they yeah. work Monday to Friday. They train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They don't have the time or the capacity to be professional rugby players. Yeah. So that's where I yeah. think the buy-in yeah, okay. from the clubs yeah. themselves may mean that it won't work. Okay. Well... 
Well, I think rather than going deep diving into competition structures, why don't we continue with the interview? Because um, okay. I think you've highlighted some really good points, which may be issues with that idea that was discussed in the pod. Um, were there any other things that you that kind of jumped out from you about the discussion that was had? Um, one other thing that was uh, mentioned briefly was that the NRL is due to start up again this weekend. And the yeah. AFL is due to start up, I think, next week or the weekend after. And we still have mm -hmm. no news on rugby, yep. which again, rugby, we're behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. um, we should be, if we're not bringing back a domestic super rugby competition, we should be pushing for just to resume club tournaments like the Shoot Shield yeah. and have our Wallabies and, and Waratahs players playing back in club rugby. Yeah, yeah. See Michael right. Hooper back in manly colours and Kurtley Beal running around for a... Who did who did he, uh, who Randwick. Did he? Randwick. Was he Randwick? I think so. Because I know he came through the school's competition, um, but I don't know what, didn't know what club he was assigned to or played with. Um, yeah, look, I think it's just, again, another situation where all of the internal politicking is taken away from the ability of RA to actually uh, be proactive and be leading the charge on the return to sport or the resumption of sport. Mm -hmm. And it's just really disappointing because... Uh, I think it was actually Morgan Tiranui who was saying about a month ago that Rugby Australia should be the one to be able to do this. You just get everybody down to the AIS in Canberra, get all the teams down there, make sure everybody's clear and test them, and then basically put it on lockdown, but then just play all the play the entire competition out of Canberra for the next four, five, six weeks. Yeah. And just do it like that because we only have four teams, five if you include Western Force, and so the number of people involved is so much less than any other sport sporting competition in Australia. And yet we are behind the eight ball on that one. From what I understand, this, uh, Rugby Australia has put their proposal forward to the Australian government and they're mm -hmm. waiting on getting it cleared before they can return or get it approved and... and start the process you know what that means we just don't have the money or the clout in the right places to be getting it fast tracked like obviously the afl and the nrl have i mean if you if we take if we look at this whole situation and we take away the covid uh scenario the mm. fact that i mean we can't take away the um the the pause of the game and all that kind of thing but we look at the fact that the game stopped and it's relied solely on the organization of rugby Australia to get it back up and running and they haven't been able to do it. You can see why these captains have come out with the letter to say, we need an overhaul. Yeah. Like yeah. you well, guys can't organize anything. Really what it feels like at the moment. It's just yeah, and I guess... like headless chick chickens walking around aimlessly. I just wonder if, the reason why they're headless is, I don't know if we stretch this metaphor too far or something, but I just wonder if the reason why there's been so much inaction and issue is because of the amount of time that's been had. Like there's a certain point at which negative or doomsaying about a certain situation leads, make, makes it happen. And we've spoken about this in the past. Um, I think I was talking to Ben Kimber on social media about this anyway. The idea of at what point continuing to say that Railing Castle is going to be fired leads to her getting fired or resigning. Um, at what point does talking about the death of Australian rugby lead to the death of Australian rugby? And 
So I just wonder if there were more people within the Australian rugby landscape and the journalism of Australian rugby that were willing to at least be hopeful for the future rather than continuing to death ride the whole situation, whether it would actually come out uh, a different way and whether there would have been this capacity to respond and do things without having to constantly be fighting these negative articles that were coming out. And that actually leads me to, I was, I was racking my brain to try and think of a point that I'd, I'd forgotten I wanted to bring up about the podcast or the interview. Um, one of the questions that wasn't asked that I really wish was, was why make it an open letter in the first place? Mm. And if it wasn't the first one, then say that it's not the first one. So you have some form of legitimacy. Because, in my opinion, if they're wanting their their utopian vision for Australian rugby into the future involved the removal of the leadership of Australian rugby, yeah. In my mind, that is short-sighted and um, doesn't address some of the core issues that are at play about the nature of the Australian rugby landscape. And in anything, just continues to add to the negative campaign, which is undermining rugby in Australia. Um, but if they had said something to the effect of, over the last, uh, since January of 2020, we as a group of captains have tried to engage in dialogue with Rugby Australia in order to present our suggestions and offers of assistance to um, improve the situation that rugby in Australia finds itself in. But we have not been listened to. Our um, requests for meetings haven't been met and Australian rugby continues to be in this situation. Hence, we are putting out this open letter calling for wholesale change. I can respect that much more then I respect an open letter demanding change as the first mode of communication. And maybe it wasn't the first mode, but the perception and the way it was put out there was that it was the first um, time they tried to make any issue. And to like Rugby Australia's credit, Paul McLean responded to them that day and got them in the very next day, or he's got representatives of the group yeah. in to talk to them the next day. So it's not like Rugby Australia ignored them. Well, Morgan so, Tudui also said in the podcast that he's the CEO of the Classic Wallabies and that mm -hmm. he's been in touch with a number of these players as well to, to put forward solutions and said, guys, we, we need solutions now. If you've yep. got ideas and you're willing to help, let us know yep. and we're in talks with Rugby Australia. So yep. there is that communication in that, in that way as well. I think yep. it leads back into the point I was saying before. I do mm, think yeah. yep. that it was an agenda. This whole letter... Mm -hmm was an agenda put together by two or three people to try and get rid of Railing Castle. So what does that then... Look, this is good. I don't want... I'm, I'm just going to say it. What does that say about captains like Stephen Moore that have signed on to this letter if they... And that this letter has then been used to drive an agenda? I would say that Stephen Moore and captains in his position have been used. I don't honestly yeah. think that Stephen Moore wanted the um, effects that happened from the letter. I don't think that's his reason for signing the letter. Was They weren't his reasons. I think he had legitimate reasons to see improvement in Rugby Australia. 
And he has said that he doesn't have specific solutions, mm -hmm. which is one of the points we've been saying a lot. He doesn't have specific yep. solutions, but he does want to see change. And he's got a desire for the good, like for good things to happen in rugby, in Australian rugby. Exactly. And the fact that he's yep. still being involved mm -hmm. shows his character. So he's still being involved. He's doing pot. He's coming on podcasts and having these conversations. He's going out to meet local fans and in, in the rural communities with the classic wallabies. He's putting his hands up, hand up to do the things that need to be done to spread the love of the game around the country. So honestly, I think captains like Stephen Moore have their head and their heart in the right place. And there's potentially two or three people on that list that aren't. And I don't know who they were. Yeah, can I just direct everybody back to that article I was talking about? Um, we might put the link in the show notes because it provides some really, really good information around what we're talking about here. Um, look, I, I personally don't have any more points I wanted to touch on. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep ranting and I think we've covered my main uh, talking points that came up. Was it, were there any final points that you wanted to bring up about this interview? I don't think so. I guess... What would you like to see? What would if you were in this situation, in their situation, or you personally now? What would you like to see yeah. happen with Rugby Australia moving forward? Um, number one, they need to get a return to play um, timeline set up for the resumption of competition, with specific dates in mind. With that, and I think they're for for professional. Oh, just for, just for, yeah, professional COVID Because life. they have, um, they have actually announced that. But with dates associated with it? They, they don't have specific dates, but they do have a timeline. Yeah. Basically, I just want to know when I'm going to be able to watch Super Rugby again. That's my first point. So I think and, that just point... just to provide clarity around that one. That's, that's out of their hands at the moment. We're waiting on the government to approve that. But they mm. have announced everything from that point down. So we've got Shoot Shields, yeah. we've got the plan for community rugby to go back. So we're looking at the end of yeah. July at the moment. Yeah. So they have, they have done what they can do in that regard. Okay. So I think in a broader sense, what I'd be hoping for from Rugby Australia, if we're just thinking broader or bigger picture, is to have a very clear overall vision of what the aim for Australian, for rugby in Australia is. And I, I think that needs to be realistic to claim that we're going to be the most, the number one supporter, have the number one supporter base in Australia, um, largest, largest, viewing numbers, largest competition is not realistic. We're in a mm -hmm. niche sport. And so we need to recognize that. Um, but to have a vision that encompasses that and then to communicate that regularly to the media, to the viewing public and saying, these are the actions that we're taking. This is what our competition structure is going to be like. This is how we're going to be revamping um, or creating a national club competition, if they're going to do that, to be uh, revamping Super Rugby. And every single decision needs to be aligned back into that overall vision that they put out there for where Australian rugby is going. Um, and if that means conducting an, a, an internal review about the nature and the structures and the organisation of both Rugby Australia, but then how the state organisations or the state unions um, connect in and link into the supporting role of Rugby Australia. I think that that is really, really important. So basically, what is your overall vision? And then every piece of media 
needs to be feeding back into the overall vision and every decision needs to be justified by that vision. And then trying to, it's a magical word, alignment, but basically trying to do a review that is looking into the ways in which Australian rugby can become more unified, break down some of the state barriers, particularly between New South Wales and Queensland, and look at ways in which we can all be pulling together for the good of Australian rugby in general. And I don't just mean at the top, I don't just mean super rugby and the Wallabies, but actually trying to have a healthier game overall. And I think that people are just going to have to eat a whole bunch of humble pie and put aside their own little fiefdoms in the kind of different club or state competitions and just say, no, okay, what's actually best for Australian rugby at this point in time? Um, and they'll need some pretty inspired leadership to do that, but I'm not sure if it's going to be able to happen. Mm. I think uh, we need to get rid of the board. I think we just need to get rid of everyone up there. Like everybody has just changed in like they two haven't. months. It's in, in Paul McLean, when Paul McLean steps down in a couple of months' time from his interim role, there will have been, I can't remember the specific stat, but I'll try and find it for next week if we talk about this again. The turnover in the board for the last 12 months, nearly everybody is new in the last 12 months of being on the board. I and think so, what we need to do is oops, get rid of the board completely. So okay. sack everyone. And then we... Okay, I'll hear you out. I'll hear you out. All right. Hear me out. Get rid of the board completely. So sack everyone. And then we have a, um, I guess, a public appointment system where they can be... We need to have some form of system where it's not like, it's not an internal process. There needs to be someone overseeing the appointments that doesn't have their own agendas in mind. Cause that's where the problem mm. has been up until this point is that people are trying to put their friends on who know will support them in their bid to be chairman and this and that, and will that is in bed with New South Wales or Queensland or we need to get people in the board positions who actually represent the States who represent yep. the shareholders and who represent the game, whether they be yeah, captains, was- they be players, they be like, we need to have a member of Rupa on the board. We need mm-hmm. to have a member of each state on the board. And it needs to be, and then there needs to be like maybe even a completely um, independent chairman. And maybe a member of community rugby and a shit shield representative. Exactly. And the Queensland competition representative too. Like these people that are on the boards in these leadership roles need to be aligned with some form of of rugby they can't just be so how are they going to be possibly not have agendas if they're representing their state union like if you've got someone that's representing uh new south wales rugby how do how is there a realistic expectation that person isn't going to be aligned for the interests of new south wales rugby okay yeah they would (laughs) no they would Uh, they would yeah but they're not they don't have personal agendas Okay, yeah, okay, so there's a difference. There's an agenda for the constituency, if we use that word, of who they're representing, but not necessarily for personal power, which I guess gets into the idea of, um, in the interview with Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones was talking about the idea of having the right people 
in the right positions. And actually, Australian rugby may not need a massive overhaul, but just the right people driving the ship in order to have a very positive impact upon the situation. So maybe that's kind of what you're talking about there, having trying to find people, and this is very amorphous, I don't know how you necessarily do it, but just trying to find people that don't have that Peter Wiggs, I'm trying to get my mate to the top. Exactly. Position. Yeah. And something else that Eddie Jones said as well, or Morgan Tuanui said in, in that episode last week that I thought was really interesting, is that there needs to be a pathway in mm. rugby. So that you yeah. need to be able to go down to your local club and start and get on the board there and then have a pathway all the way up to get onto the AIU um, yeah. board. Yeah, okay. Yep. Because at the moment, there's no way. No well, that's, that's the whole point, though. And the whole point of not having that is because um, I've forgotten what review it was. Was it the Argus review a um, whole bunch of years ago that, was, um, that, that got rid of that type of representative membership of the board and then shifted across to being a board of independent members because they were trying to remove some of that um, just pushing for the rights of your own interests for the people that you're looking into. So hopefully having these independent members would stop that kind of rivalry and stop these issues coming into play about little factions being created. Um, but obviously that hasn't worked. No, I don't think it has worked. No. I, I, yeah. Well, mate, I think we could just rabbit on about this for we a could. long time. I we think really we've could. reached the end of what we can reasonably talk about with this yep. podcast. Um, now, I just kind of just want to finish it up by saying you and I are both really good fans, really big fans of basically a lot of the podcasts on the Australian rugby scene, one of those being the Rugby Rockers. So even though we may have critiqued elements of the interview and kind of the content of what was said, um, it comes as fans who wanted to cut. We, we just wanted more from that. Yeah, we, just, we wanted and answers. We wanted answers. I want to know. And we didn't get that to the extent that we were wanting. Yeah. Um, and so full credit, they were able to get an interview with Stephen Moore and they've had a whole host of wonderful people come on over the last few weeks and hopefully over the weeks ahead. I know I'll be listening to the episode this week. Um, so lots of love out there to everybody involved in the other pods too. So Mitch, this has been fun. It's been fun to just go into depth and talk about yeah. it. Uh, nice to Have be a back ramble. on the yeah, <laughs> and it's it's been really nice to get back into the swing of things and just talk about rugby again. Yeah, we're only a few weeks away now, so we'll have some rugby to chat about. Maybe so next exciting. week. Maybe next week we can talk about uh, a distant cousin of ours who plays a similar form of game rugby league oh you know what we should do yeah okay let's let's flesh this one out a bit more maybe we'll lower ourselves to watching some rugby league and then um do a comparison with rugby and talk about what is better for rugby and maybe what we can learn from rugby league <laughs> yeah maybe mm -hmm. we'll see what happens i don't know who cares i'm going to be watching any sport that's on because i miss it so much that's so. right all right, mate. Um, why don't we call it there? Thank yep. you for the pod. Um, it's been fun and I'm looking forward to next week. Yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us for another week. We have some more rugby stuff coming up the next few weeks. We'd love to hear from you on our social media platforms, on Facebook and on Instagram. So get in touch and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. 
Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.